This is Archive Atlanta, episode 117, First Women Architects. You're listening to Archive Atlanta, a history podcast where each week I'll be sharing a story about the people, places, and events that shape the history of the city of Atlanta. I'm your host, local tour guide, and total history nerd, Victoria Lemos. Hey everyone, happy Friday. So March is Women's History Month, but also I had a rough week. Life came at me kind of hard. We had no power in our house for two days. We've had an electrician here for two days. Uh, we have a plumber coming. So, you know, all fixable problems, but it has certainly put a dent in my ability to research. Uh, and I was working on a big episode about Kirkwood that I hope to get out soon. So I cheated a little bit. I went into the mini episode archives from Patreon and I took out an appropriate episode. I went back and I added as much information or extra stuff that I could find. And this week I'm telling you about Henrietta Dozier and Layla Ross Wilburn. I love nothing more than a story about women acting against the grain that was prescribed to them by their time period, social norms, or gender. And both Henrietta and Layla are examples of that, and they both leave legacies that we can physically see today, although not all in Atlanta. Let's start with some eye-opening statistics. In 1958, only 1% of registered architects were women. By 1988, that number had only gone up to 4%. By 1999, it's 13 and a half, and today it's only 17%. I knew nothing about the architecture field, so not only did this blow my mind, but it made me further appreciate these early women pioneers, and heck, even the women going into architecture today, they're trailblazing. The first white female architect in the United States was Louise Blanchard Bethune, who took a job in drafting in 1876. And that was actually a really common way to learn architecture at the time as opposed to going to school. The first black woman to officially pass an architecture license exam in the U.S. was Norma Merrick Sklarik in 1954. The first woman in the state of Georgia to practice architecture was white, and her name was Henrietta Coutinho Dozier. We know very little about her, and most of what we know comes from a 1939 interview with the architect that was part of the Great Depression's Federal Writers Project. I love her quote in this, though. She says, quote, I do not know whether my life history will be of any interest, but believe me, I have always lived, end quote. Born in 1872 in Fernandina, Florida, to Cornelia and Henry, her father actually passed away just four months before she was born. So her mother is a new widow. She has two daughters. And she takes the family to Georgia because that's where her family was from. So she and her sister moved to Atlanta when Henrietta was just a year and a half old. From as early as the age of seven, she remembers wanting to study architecture and drawing. And she used to draft patterns for her dolls' dresses as well as the dolls of her friends. She was enrolled at Cruz Street Elementary School. And then she graduated from Girls High, which I talked about in episode 14. She preferred to go by Harry. And she was committed to this nickname. So in the Girls High graduation commencement of 1891, she is listed as Harry Dozier. After high school, she became really interested in astronomy, but instead she spent one year as an apprentice in an architect's office. After that, she headed to Brooklyn, New York to attend the Pratt Institute, which was the premier architecture school of its time. And in 1895, sort of between schools, she actually submitted an architectural model for the Cotton States and International Exposition. So I talked about it in episode um, 111. I don't think it was ever approved or accepted, but she did send in an idea. Shortly after that, she enrolled in the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, where she completed her Bachelor of Science degree in 1899. She's one of three women in a class of 176 students there. 
After graduation, she returns to Atlanta and she begins practicing architecture as the very first female architect in the state of Georgia. This was not easy, as you can imagine, and not everyone was thrilled to work with a woman. So she actually used various methods to hide her identity, and one of them was going back to changing her name. She would often go by Cousin Harry, um, just plain Harry, or her initials, H.C. Dozier. And that was a common way that males' names were listed, especially in the paper back then. She worked briefly with W.T. Downing, who was one of Atlanta's famous architects. And then from 1903 to 1910, she shared office space in the Peters Building with George W. Lane, who was also an architect. She would go on to design several churches and homes. I mentioned her only once in my episode so far when I was talking about All Saints Episcopal. Uh, She was a devout Episcopalian, and she designed the original wooden chapel in 1903, which was replaced later um, by a stone structure, but that current building still stands on the corner at West Peachtree and North Avenue. Two years later, she would become the third female member of the American Institute of Architects, and then the following year, she would be one of the six founding members of the Atlanta chapter, where she would then serve two terms as secretary. Here in Atlanta, she designed the Southern Ruralist Building, which was at Hunter and Washington Streets, and the Atlanta Bible School, which was at 88 Cooper Street. Now, to the best of my knowledge, none of these still stand, or none of her Atlanta work still stands. If you know differently, though, definitely let me know. In 1916, she moved to Jacksonville, Florida, and this is where she spent the remainder of her career and her life. Teaming up with my favorite architect, A. Tenike Brown, they designed the Federal Reserve Bank in Jacksonville, and that is still standing today. After the Great Depression, she began doing a lot of residential design work, believing that women wanted efficient and well-organized design. In her spare time, she was a licensed genealogist, and she traced her family history back on both sides. Never married and without children, she would die in Florida in 1947 at the age of 75. Our second architect today is more commonly associated with Atlanta and often mislabeled as the first female architect. Layla Ross Wilburn was born in Macon, Georgia in 1885, one of five children. Her family moved to Atlanta when she was about 10. And from the early articles I read about her, she came from a fairly prominent or a fairly high society family. She attended the Calhoun Street School, and I also found a hilarious article in my research um, from 1898, where it says, quote, In last Sunday's paper, we wrote that Calhoun's fifth grade Layla Wilburn had a 95.5 average, but it's actually 96.4. If you will kindly make the correction, both her friends and her teacher would consider it a favor, end quote. I identified with this so much. She just, I think it tells you a little bit about how she was as a person. It wasn't exactly common at the time for women to go into higher education, but her mother had actually left Georgia just after the Civil War to attend uh, Wesleyan College. And so it's not surprising that her two daughters, Layla and her sister, attended Agnes Scott Institute, which is today Agnes Scott College. Layla finished in 1904, and then she took private architectural drawing instruction. At just 21 years old, she began traveling the country, studying the new arts and crafts movement, taking over 5,000 photos with her Kodak. When she returned to Atlanta, she went on to apprentice with B.R. Paget from about 1906 to 1907, and a lot of people agree that that influenced her future designs. In 1909, her father died, leaving Layla, who was 24 years old at the time, the oldest child and therefore in charge of helping her family financially. That same year, she would open her own practice in the Peters Building, just like Dozier. 
And this was strategic on her part. So most other architecture firms in the city were all inside the Candler building. But the Peters building was full of realtors and developers. And she was actually the only woman to publish plan books specifically for contractors and house builders. But I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Let me explain plan books. Around the 1840s, domestic architecture books, they were often called style books, were being published by architects in the U.S., But they weren't what you expect. The extent of the plans was like usually one or two really simple floor plans. And then there was a lot of narrative. So it was almost more of like a storybook than an instruction manual. Kind of architectural propaganda, so to speak. These designers were trying to influence um, and enlighten consumers. They wanted to say, you know, you should commission my particular style. Eventually, though, the the tide begins to change. And so pattern books become true plan books. And think of it like a giant IKEA instructional manual. This one book is supposed to explain to the builder exactly how to build a house, which materials, as directed by the architect. By 1900, small home construction was gaining popularity. And so these pattern books began to be mass published. And Layla Ross Wilburn is one of the few female architects that we can connect to her pattern books. She truly believed in the democratization of home ownership, very similar to Dozier, and she wanted to design homes for the middle class. She's quoted as saying, I feel that being a woman, I know just the little things that should go into a house to make living in it a pleasure to the entire family. In 1914, Wilburn published her first pattern book and listed the advantages of a woman-made house. You could have individuality, there was comfort, privacy, lots of storage, uh, labor-saving and step-saving devices, built-in conveniences, you know, things that weren't going to accumulate dust. Definitely coming from the perspective of a traditional role of a woman, which was to keep the house clean. She would go on to produce five more plan books, which cost consumers anywhere from 35 cents to $2. Layla was interviewed in 1924 and shared her struggles and frustrations being a woman in the architecture field. She cited long years of preparation, low pay, hard to get clients. She had problems in her first year of practice. She really discouraged women from becoming architects. She was like, listen, stenography takes a lot less time to learn and you can find a lot more jobs. And she also dismissed women as drafting assistants. So she said, if you were going to be a drafting assistant in the architecture field, you just waited around to be told what to do, unlike men who looked for work and then did it. But comically, at the end of this article, she ends with saying, there's nothing I like better, and I don't believe I'd be satisfied with any other job in the world. In Atlanta, her residential designs abound. Records indicate she designed 80 houses, 20 apartment buildings, and 24 duplexes in her career. And they span almost all the southern states. There's an entire neighborhood indicator uh, where she actually, her family lived. And there's about 25, if I counted right, of her house designs. So this is the MAK Historic District. Uh, It has a great website. It actually lists the photos of each of her designs. And so I will put a link in the show notes for you guys. It's important to note that there's a difference between a home being built from one of her plans and then a direct commission. So most of the homes that you're going to see are from her plan books, but there are private commissions. So I know there's one in Marietta. It was opened as part of a tour of homes. And I think there's one in Druid Hills that just sold a few years ago. And I'm, I'm sure there's more that I'm missing. She also did commercial work, but the only two left that I know of are the Piedmont Park Apartments. Today, they're called the Wilburn House, um, which was built in 1913. And then the Rosslyn, which was built as an apartment house, and it's right on ponds just past the Krispy Kreme. Layla Ross Wilburn never married and had no children. 
She died in 1967 and is buried at Decatur Cemetery. I can't help but notice that both these women never married, never had children, which was so against the societal norms of their lifetime. And I love history because it lets me wonder the answers to these questions. Like, maybe they had different sexual preferences. Maybe they were just too busy being badasses to conform with society norms. Maybe stepping out as the first woman in a man's world was enough of a job and they didn't need to add a husband to that list. I don't know. But I am always thankful for the trailblazers that paved the way for us. So there you have it, the short story of Atlanta's first two white women in architecture. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Remember to leave a rating and or a review, and you can also visit the Patreon.com link in the show notes. There's other mini episodes like this and new ones coming next week. Hope everyone has a great weekend. I'll talk to you next week.